Chapter 12, Part 2 of The Many-Sided Franklin by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 12, Social Life, Part 2. It is not to be supposed that there were not enemies as well as friends in these years, and Franklin's social experience with one of these gives an amusing insight into his character and governing principles of conduct. For a number of years, the Earl of Hillsborough was Secretary of State for America, and there was a persistent, if veiled, war between him and the colony agent. Yet in Franklin's journal through Ireland, quote, being in Dublin at the same time with his lordship, I met with him accidentally at the Lord Lieutenant's, who had happened to invite us to dine with a large company on the same day. He was surprisingly civil, and urged my fellow travellers and me to call at his house in our intended journey northward, where we might be sure of better accommodations than the inns would afford us. He pressed us so politely that it was not easy to refuse, without apparent rudeness, as we must pass through his town, Hillsborough, and by his door. We called upon him, and were detained at his house four days, during which time he entertained us with great civility, and a particular attention to me, that appeared the more extraordinary, as I knew that just before we left London, he had expressed himself concerning me in very angry terms, calling me a Republican, a factious, mischievous fellow, and the like. He seemed attentive to everything that might make my stay in his house agreeable to me, and put his eldest son, Lord Kilwarling, into his phaeton with me, to drive me around a forty miles, that I might see the country, the seats, the manufactures, covering me with his own greatcoat, lest I should take cold. All which I could not but wonder at. When I had been a little while returned to London, I waited on him to thank him for his civilities in Ireland, and to discourse with him on a Georgia affair. The porter told me he was not at home. I left my card, went another time, and received the same answer, though I knew he was at home, a friend of mine being with him. After intermissions of a week each, I made two more visits, and received the same answer. The last time was on a levee day, when a number of carriages were at his door. My coachman driving up, alighted, and was opening the coach door, when the porter, seeing me, came out and surlily chid the coachman for opening the door before he had inquired whether my lord was at home, and then, turning to me, said, My lord is not at home. I have never since been nigh him, and we have only abused one another at a distance. End quote. This affront Franklin was presently able to revenge, for he drew up a reply to a report of the secretary of so convincing a character that the ministry, who desired but an excuse to oust Hillsborough from the cabinet, availed themselves of it to force his resignation. Yet, though the earl knew of this, and could never forgive me for writing that pamphlet, he still masked his dislike. Quote, I went down to Oxford with, and at the instance of Lord Le Despenser, Franklin relates, who is on all occasions very good to me, and seems of late very desirous of my company. That same day Lord Hillsborough called upon Lord Le Despenser, whose chamber and mine were together in Queen's College. I was in the inner room, shifting, and heard his voice, but did not see him, and he went downstairs immediately with Lord Le Despenser, who mentioned that I was above. He returned directly and came to me in the pleasantest manner imaginable." 
dr franklin said he i did not know till this minute that you were here and i am come back to make you my bow i am glad to see you at oxford and that you look so well etc in return for this extravagance i complimented him on his son's performance in the theatre though indeed it was but indifferent so that account was settled for as people say when they are angry if he strikes me i'll strike him again i think sometimes it may be right to say if he flatters me i'll flatter him again this is lex talionis returning offences in kind my quarrel is only with him who of all men i ever met with is surely the most unequal in his treatment of people the most insincere and the most wrong-headed the whole episode serves to illustrate two of poor richard's worldly wise remarks if any man flatters me i'll flatter him again though he were my best friend and he is not well bred that cannot bear ill-breeding in others it also throws a flood of light on some advice the earl of shelburne later the marquis of landown gave the english negotiator of the treaty of seventeen eighty three some people in this country he warned him who have too long indulged themselves in abusing everything american have been pleased to circulate an opinion that dr franklin is a very cunning man in answer to which i have remarked to mr oswald dr franklin knows very well how to manage a cunning man but when the doctor converses or treats with a man of candor there is no man more candid than himself there was too in these years in england more or less intercourse with the diplomatic corps how the french ambassador sought him out has been elsewhere mentioned but this was but one instance several of the foreign ambassadors franklin remarked have assiduously cultivated my acquaintance treating me as one of their corps partly i believe from the desire they have from time to time of hearing something of american affairs an object become of importance in foreign courts who begin to hope britain's alarming power will be diminished by the defection of her colonies and partly that they may have an opportunity of introducing me to the gentlemen of their country who desire it the king, too, has lately been heard to speak of me with great regard. Still another element was club life, not of the kind now termed such, for institutions which have made it possible had not then come into existence. It was then the mode for men to gather daily or weekly at some tavern and eat a dinner together, the expense for food and wine being clubbed or shared when in france his letters to his friends in london often referred to a club he frequented while in england pleased to present my best respects to our good old friends of the london coffee-house he begged one correspondent i often figure to myself the pleasure i should have in being once more seated among them again he requested pleased to present my affectionate respects to that honest sensible and intelligent society who did me so long the honour of admitting me to share in their instructive conversations i never think of the hours i so happily spent in that company without regretting that they are never to be repeated i often think of the agreeable evenings i used to pass with that excellent collection of good men he told one of the members the club at the london and wish to be again among them Perhaps I may pop in some Thursday evening when they least expect me. End quote. One letter he ended with a heartfelt wish to embrace you once more and enjoy your sweet society in peace among our honest, worthy, ingenious friends at the London. End quote. 
nor was the regard one-sided for a member informed him that the honest whig club drank your health very affectionately in sailing away from great britain david hume assured franklin that quote, i am very sorry that you intend soon to leave our hemisphere america has sent us many good things gold silver sugar tobacco indigo etc but you are the first philosopher and indeed the first great man of letters for whom we are beholden to her it is our own fault that we have not kept him whence it appears that we do not agree with solomon that wisdom is above gold for we take care never to send back an ounce of the latter which we once lay our fingers upon the regret was quite as strong on that part of the voyager for in departing he declared that quote, i fancy i feel a little like dying saints who in parting with those they love in this world are only comforted with the hope of a more perfect happiness in the next i have in america connections of the most engaging kind and happy as i have been in the friendships here contracted those promise me greater and more lasting felicity upon the whole he said on another occasion i have lived so great a part of my life in britain and have formed so many friendships in it that i love it and sincerely wish it prosperity and therefore wish to see that union on which alone i think it can be secured and established as in his circle of friends in Philadelphia, he outlived the most of his intimates in Great Britain, and in his last years heard with grief of one more break. Quote, the departure of my dearest friend, which I learned from your last letter, greatly affects me. To meet her once more in this life was one of the principal motives of my proposing to visit England again before my return to America. The last year carried off my friends, Dr. Pringle, Dr. Fothergill, Lord Kames, and Lord Le Despenser. This has begun to take away the rest, and strikes the hardest. Thus the ties I had to that country, and indeed to the world in general, are loosened one by one, and I shall soon have no attachment left to make me unwilling to follow. End quote it was in france however that his greatest social success was achieved twice while in great britain as a colony agent he had made trips to paris and among the scientists there had made a wide circle of friends and been won by the charm of the people the civilities we everywhere receive he told an english friend give us the strongest impressions of the french politeness it seems to be a point settled here universally that strangers are to be treated with respect and one has just the same deference shown one here by being a stranger as in england by being a lady on his return to england he could not but look back on quote, the time i spent in paris and in the improving conversation and agreeable society of so many ingenious and learned men which seems now to me like a pleasing dream from which i was only to be awakened by finding myself at london would to god he exclaimed in speaking of his intended return to america i could take with me messieurs dupont dubourg and some other french friends with their good ladies i might then by mixing them with my friends in philadelphia form a little happy society that would prevent me ever wishing again to visit europe nor was it only in the scientific circles that he made acquaintances and the fame of his electrical experiments even secured him an invitation to the french court 
You see, he wrote Miss Stevenson, I speak of the Queen as if I had seen her, and so I have, for you must know I have been at court. We went to Versailles last Sunday, and had the honor of being presented to the King. He spoke to both of us very graciously and very cheerfully, is a handsome man, has a very lively look, and appears younger than he is. In the evening we were at the Grand Covert, where the family sup in public. The table was half a hollow square, the service gold. When either made a sign for drink, the word was given by one of the waiters, à boire pour le roi, or à boire pour la reine. Then two persons came from within, the one with wine and the other with water in carafes. Each drank a little glass of what he brought, and then put both the carafes with a glass on a salver, and then presented it. Their distance from each other was such as that other chairs might have been placed between any two of them. An officer of the court brought us up through the crowd of spectators, and placed Sir John Pringle so as to stand between the Queen and Madame Victoire. The King talked a good deal to Sir John, asked many questions about our royal family, and did me too the honor of taking some notice of me. That is saying enough. End quote. When Franklin came to France, therefore, as a commissioner from the Continental Congress, it was to a people not merely eager to espouse his country's cause, but already somewhat acquainted with the man. From the moment he landed, and before it was even known what attitude the court would take toward him, the lionizing began. A welcoming ball was given him at Nantes where he noted that, quote, there were no women's headdresses less than five, and a few were seven lengths of the face above the top of the forehead, end quote. But as he journeyed toward Paris, he was persuaded to pause long enough to dine at the Duc de Rochefoucauld's, where there were duchesses and a countess, he remarked, no head higher than a face and a half. So, it seems, the farther from court, the more extravagant the mode, end quote. This entertaining was forced upon him before the object of his mission was divulged, but, quote, I find it generally supposed here that I am sent to negotiate, and that opinion appears to give great pleasure, if I can judge by the extreme civilities I meet with from the numbers of the principal people who have done me the honor to visit me, end quote. Once in Paris, although not openly recognized by the court in his diplomatic capacity, everyone united to show him honor and courtesy. As already quoted, he assured his sister that the account you have had of the vogue I am in here has some truth in it. Perhaps few strangers in France have had the good fortune to be so universally popular. End quote. To his daughter, he remarked, the clay medallion of me you say you gave to Mr. Hopkinson was the first of the kind made in France. A variety of others have been made since of different sizes, some to be set in the lids of snuff-boxes, and some so small as to be worn in rings, and the numbers sold are incredible. These, with the pictures, busts, and prints, of which copies upon copies are spread everywhere, have made your father's face as well known as that of the moon, so that he durst not do anything that would oblige him to run away, as his fizz would discover him wherever he should venture to show it. It is said by learned etymologists that the name doll, for the images children play with, is derived from the word idol. From the number of dolls now made of him, he may be truly said that, in this sense, to be idolized in this country. End quote. 
figure me in your mind he asked a friend as jolly as formerly and as strong and hearty only a few years older very plainly dressed wearing my thin grey straight hair that peeps out under my only coiffure a fine fur cap which comes down my forehead almost to my spectacles think how this must appear among the powdered heads of paris yet it was in vain that the british ambassador sought to throw ridicule on the new envoy quote, i talk of him in a ludicrous manner and sometimes say for instance that the effect of his fur cap seems to be worn out and that i observe he is less talked of since the arrival of pacini the famous italian composer to his principal however he told another story quote, that physician de bourg whom your lordship has heard of sent cards all over paris testifying to his acquaintance the arrival of dr franklin i have already observed to your lordship that numbers of people resort to him franklin but there are very few persons of condition among them then as if to complete the stormount he acknowledged that from the first the duc de choiseul and his party took franklin by the hand and quote, openly espoused the cause of the rebels end quote, and that the newcomer had formed a great intimacy with the duc de chartres i live here in great respect franklin himself said to a friend and dine every day with great folks but i still long for home and for repose and should be happy to eat indian pudding in your company and under your hospitable roof when john adams for a time his fellow commissioner joined him in paris and lived with him he shared in this unending hospitality and recorded in his journal that quote, invitations were sent to dr franklin and me every day in the week to dine in some great or small company end quote. a complete chronicle of his social hours would be impossible but a glimpse here and there may well be taken from the diary of john adams are extracted the following to show some of the entertainments accepted by the two commissioners Quote, dr franklin presented to me the compliments of m turgot late controller of the finance and his invitation to dine with him went with dr franklin and mr lee and dined in company with the duchess d'anville the mother of the duc de la rochefoucauld and twenty of the great people of france dined with monsieur chalut one of the farmers general we were shown into the most superb gallery that i have yet seen the paintings statues and curiosities were innumerable the old marshal richelieu dined there and a vast number of other great company after dinner mr chalut invited dr franklin and me to go to the opera and take a seat in his logis we did the music and dancing were very fine dined at home with a great deal of company went after dinner to see the misanthrope of moliere with mr emile it was followed by the heureusement dined at mr bertin's the secretary of state at his seat in the country dr franklin his grandson and i rode with madame bertin the niece of the minister in her voiture with four horses this day i had the honour to dine with the prince de tengri duc de beaumont of the illustrious house of montmorency went to the concert spirituel in the royal garden where was an infinite number of gentlemen and ladies walking dined with the duchess d'anville at her house with her daughter and granddaughter dukes abbots etc 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 dined with the marshal de malabois with a great deal of company 
here also we were shown the marshal's ami seated at the table with all his great company i could say but little but i understood her as well as any one i had heard in french it appears to me that the marshal had chosen her rather for her wit and senses than personal charms dined with the marshal de mouchy with the duke and the duchess diane their daughter the marquis de lafayette and the viscount de malebois her sister another sister unmarried the prussian ambassador an italian ambassador and a great deal of other great company End quote. one offset there was to the complete enjoyment of dining out for groaning at the innumerable applications of officers to him for employment franklin complained that quote, i am afraid to accept an invitation to dine abroad being almost sure of meeting with some officer or officer's friend who as soon as i am put in good humor by a glass or two of champagne begins his attack upon me End quote. until france recognized american independence the negotiators could not be received at court or by the ministry but once the treaty of amity and commerce was signed they became fully recognized diplomatic agents and the hitherto closed official doors were thrown open to them the whole court at the first function franklin attended united to heap attention and distinction upon him and from that time as if to make up for the brief period of non-recognition he was shown the utmost honor being bidden to the greatest and most exclusive affairs even to those given to royalty itself he describes an opera given to a royal prince at which he was present where quote, the house being richly finished with abundance of carving and gilding well illuminated with wax tapers and the company all superbly dressed many of the men in cloth of tissue and the ladies sparkling with diamonds formed altogether the most splendid spectacle my eyes ever beheld End quote in adam's diary is a reference to one ministerial dinner they went to given by vergennes there was a full table no ladies but the countess the count's brother the ambassador who lately signed the treaty with switzerland mr garnier the late secretary to the embassy in england and many others dukes and bishops and counts etc end of chapter twelve part two